Thanks for downloading this episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene. If you listen to audiobooks as well, be sure to visit audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet for a free 30-day trial to audible.com. The address again is audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet. Both Audible Trial and Bionic Planet are spelled out as one word, no dots, dashes, or spaces, as opposed to my website, which is bionic-planet.com. Towards the end of summer, climate negotiators learned of three trademark applications that were filed in May of this year. One was for the logo Red Plus X, which is described as a carbon credit brokerage. Another was for the logo RRU, which is supposed to be a new type of carbon credit generated by saving or supporting forests under the Paris Agreement. But it was the third for the logo Red Plus that raised eyebrows across the climate community. This is kind of a sketchy looking business proposal. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know its ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it, and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields. Not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet or is nature itself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we're coming to you from year-end climate talks in Bonn, Germany, where negotiations are still ongoing, but we're going to take a look at one of those quirky little disputes that rarely make it into the mainstream media, but that actually say a lot about how complex these negotiations are. Specifically, we're looking at what happened to two proposals that haven't even made it into the formal negotiating process, but that touch on issues around the implementation of a mechanism that we've discussed a lot on Bionic Planet, namely Red Plus, which is a set of activities that reduce greenhouse gases by saving or reviving endangered forests. The acronym is generally spelled out as Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Forest Degradation and the Role of Conservation, Sustainable Management of Forests, and Enhancement of Forest Carbon Stocks. It's a mouthful, and it describes a set of mechanisms that generate so-called reduction units, which might one day be worth billions of dollars as the world implements the Paris Climate Agreement. It's getting late here in Bonn. The beer is flowing, and as you can hear, the music's playing, and I'm having a hard time concentrating after a week of 12-hour workdays, but I need to get this thing filed tonight or I'm afraid it will never get done. And, and yes, I've had a few beers myself, and I hope I don't sound like, a, like an idiot. I'm going to get a little wonky today, and I probably won't be doing a very good job of introducing 
some of these concepts. I've got a feeling this is one of those episodes that I'll be remixing or harvesting for a more accessible feature when I have time. Now, we start in May of this year when a New York-based entity called the Coalition for Rainforest Nations applied to trademark the term Red Plus, along with the terms Red Plus X and RRU. The coalition has been around a while. It's a nonprofit organization that promotes forest carbon initiatives in roughly two dozen countries. And the trademark applications came to light just as one of those countries, the Democratic Republic of Congo, proposed something that it's calling a gateway for handling red plus reduction units, which, not coincidentally, is what RRU stands for. And that, as you may recall from a few seconds ago, is one of the terms they wanted to trademark. This got negotiators flipping out. But Kevin Conrad, who runs the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, says he's just trying to provide clarity in a process that often seems chaotic. His critics say the proposals replicate mechanisms that are already in the works, and more than a few of them have pointed out to me that the person who trademarks a logo gets to charge for its use. Conrad, however, says he's offering these logos for free as a tool that we can all use to differentiate different types of offsets. Now, I'm not a mind reader, and I can't speak to the motives of the people involved in this little kerfuffle, but I do think it offers an opportunity to help you understand the issues that negotiators wrestle with. So today, we're speaking with Kevin Conrad, as well as Tosim Panupanu, who is the Democratic Republic of Congo's chief climate negotiator, and Peter Graham, a former Canadian negotiator, now in the private sector, and as a result, free to speak his mind as he wasn't before. We'll start with Kevin, but first some background. Red Plus began as an experiment in 1988, when a company called Applied Energy Services wanted to see if it could reduce its carbon footprint by helping farmers in Guatemala manage their land more sustainably. The acronym then was AD for Avoided Deforestation. And the concept evolved over the decades as NGOs continued to experiment with the science. Eventually, the phrase shifted to reducing emissions from deforestation, then to reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation, and finally to one that includes a broader range of land use activities. At the same time, standard setting bodies like the Verified Carbon Standard, which you'll hear referred to as VCS, and the American Carbon Registry emerged to provide ways of generating carbon offsets by determining which forests were endangered and which procedures can be used to save them. So that was going on in one stream. But within the United Nations Framework on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC, RED, and again that's R-E-D-D, remained on ice until 2005. And it was Kevin Conrad, today's guest, who got it back into the agenda. Now, he grew up in Papua New Guinea, and he was that country's lead negotiator in 2005, and he wrangled Red Plus back onto the agenda. That was at the climate talks in Montreal. Now, eight years later, at the 2013 climate talks in Warsaw, the UNFCCC agreed on something called the Warsaw Framework for Red Plus. This is a, a cluster of agreements on how countries can develop a kind of environment within which Red Plus projects 
can proliferate. Uh, I'm, I'm adjusting that definition for today's show, but it's that is one of the. It wasn't like the the main goal, but that's what what's the re, that's the relevant part. That rule book was enshrined in the Paris Agreement, which was uh, ratified in or which was passed in 2015. But the acronym Red Plus is used by carbon standards like VCS and Plan Vivo. And it's also used by states within countries, like the U.S. state of California and the Mexican state of Chiapas. And that, says Conrad, is a problem. I'm posting our interview raw. The only edits I made are adjusting the volume levels and snipping out a few ums and ahs. At this point, the whole red system under the United Nations we don't even have offsets being generated yet, um, but they do exist under the verified carbon standard and other carbon standards. And, and the problem that you're having is that people, people think that if they're buying a red offset, that it's automatically somehow something that's sanctioned by the United Nations. Uh, the first part of your comment I disagree with, and the second part I d agree with. So I agree with the fact that pe when, when, uh, when the VCS uses the word red plus, they're misleading customers. Customers think that's part of the UNFCC process, which is called Red Plus, but it isn't. Okay, Red Plus under the UNFCC is a very complex and lengthy process that includes national reference levels. And that's really important for environmental integrity. And when you said the UNFCC hasn't created credits, that's true and not true. What the UNFCC has done, it has certified tons or verified tons of emission reductions for red countries. Brazil has about a billion tons that have been verified and they're publicly listed on the UNFCC's Red Plus Hub. Ecuador has about 20 million tons that have been verified by the UNFCC. And there are at least 27 other countries that are actually actively going through that process now. The question that you've raised is, well, what do those countries do with those tons? And that's what we have some thoughts on. Right, right. Because now these are these are tons generated at the national level. Because over their jurisdiction, they've reduced their their rates of deforestation. Right. Well, not generated by the government. the The government just reports on the emission reductions by everybody. Right. So that's part of what the government's responsibility is to do. After it receives those tons it has to devolve or assign those tons to the people who actually did the work. Okay, so that, that process means that the, the national government may keep some of those tons for programs it put in place. It may devolve some of those to states and it may devolve those to communities or corporations or all of those actors who actually helped the government through its reporting system achieve those reductions. Mm -hmm. Okay. But none of those emission reductions were, were uh, created on a specific patch of land, like under the, v the verified carbon standard, for example, the way you would, go, you would create an offset is you, you identify a, a specific piece of, of territory that's under some sort of threat, and then you have to go in and map out the threat, and then you have to go create all these models and then say, okay, this is what's going to happen if we don't intervene. Then they'll, they'll intervene, and then, then they'll, they'll have a very specific emission reduction for a very specific piece of, of, of territory. There's nothing like that, actually, within, within the 
the UNFCCC yet, right? Not, or is it? Not true. Not true. What 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 the UNFCC requires countries to do is to report all of those areas where actions are happening, and also report all of the areas where actions aren't happening and force are being lost, and net them out. Okay, and actually that's the right response because that's what the atmosphere sees. The atmosphere sees the reductions in one area and it also sees the losses in another area. So the obligation of the national governments is to report wins and losses and to net them out and then to receive benefit for the net. Your issue is that big banks, investors generally don't know the difference between a, a an offset that's generated in the voluntary market and these these credits are, that are going to be coming out under the UNFCCC. That's true. What, what, what has happened, unfortunately, is a lot of the voluntary project developers have used the red plus uh, description. And the red plus description describes a UNFCC process. It's a very lengthy process, and I'll describe it very quickly. You have to have a national plan. You have to have a national monitoring system. You have to have a national reference level. You have to write a report on all of your safeguards, and then you submit your results, and then those results have to be independently reviewed by the UNFCC itself, and then once it goes through that process, then they are issued and put on the Red Plus Hub. Now, none of these projects have gone through that process, which means they actually shouldn't be calling themselves Red Plus projects. Now, that, and so what you're what you're advocating is the creation of a of a logo or a, a, a certification program, or or basically another standard. You're basically you want to take the what's happening under the UNFCCC, turn that into a very clearly delineated standard that everyone can see. Yes, what, what we'd like to do is sort of create a Red Plus logo and then also a a name of a unit, and we're using RRU, which is Red Plus Results Unit, that we would assign only to those units that are coming out of the UNFCC process and have met the have met all of the international agreed standards and have been verified according according to the best international standards. And only those units would be able to use the logo and carry the RRU designation. Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, what, what your, your main concern on, on these voluntary offsets is just that they're not always part of a national accounting program. If, if, if VCS or one of these, one of the other standards. I just keep using them because they're the yeah. biggest. But if one of the other, if one of the standards does work something out where they say, okay, you know, we're doing these voluntary offsets, but we're coordinating closely with the government, and everything, you know, every 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 emission reduction that we generate uh, is is registered with the government. Well, I think I think what you're getting at, Steve, is that there's no reason projects that were previously termed VCS cannot become part of the new system, right? So those land areas that are active in conserving forest areas, if they then work with the government, become part of the national, be covered by the national reference level, get included in the national greenhouse gas inventory reports, and are part then of the registry system so that everyone understands who owns what, there's no reason they can't get that UN certification. The point is it hasn't happened yet. What we initially and actually still are trying to do is simply signal to non-state actors that speaking the same carbon language is critically important if we're actually trying to pull in the same direction to reduce carbon emissions globally. It's 
the current situation is more like what I call sort of the 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 carbon tower of Babel. Everyone is is there, saying they're trying to build the same structure, but speaking a different carbon language, and it it becomes a bit of a disaster. And so what we see the NPC's uh, submission is just a simple message to say to encourage anyone who is not in this process to when they talk about what they're doing in in climate and carbon try to speak the same language and and I use the the gap the generally accepted accounting principles as an as an analogy it's when the financial community was trying to evaluate corporations, what, how real is your debt? How, how strong are your assets? Are your, are your losses or profits as big as they are? They had to get generally accepted accounting standards so that you could look across companies and begin to understand what they were really doing. And that's all we're advocating here is, let's get the same carbon language and let's encourage people to report on what they're doing in a way that the entire world can understand. And that's, it's just a, it's, it's a messaging and an encouragement exercise. Okay. But again, my understanding is that that, that is happening already. Uh, you mentioned the IPCC good, good, uh, good practice guidance. And my understanding is that the, the voluntary standards all build on that. They all have the same ways of accounting for carbon stocks and, you know, identifying changes in land use. I mean, it's, it's, it is, they are using, Similar languages, maybe, you know, maybe well, different well, dialects. Well, of the- uh, some are in force and some aren't, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of what I would call room for creativity in the statement. We started with the IPCC good practice guidance, right? So, what the IPCC does is it it talks about default values which are called tier one, then it talks about your country-specific values, which are site-specific, which are tier two, then it talks about tier three, which is wall-to-wall carbon data. And, and that's the kind of process that we're saying everyone needs to be involved in. These high-level negotiations are important, but only because they eventually translate into action on the ground. And you can take action too. But how? Well, I've been listening to an audiobook called Cooler, Smarter, Practical Steps for Low Carbon, which is based on an in-depth two-year study by experts at the Union of Concerned Scientists. It offers clear, concise descriptions of what we as individuals can do to shrink our own carbon footprints by 20% or more overnight. And you can get the audiobook and support Bionic Planet at the same time with a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com forward slash Bionic Planet. That's audibletrial.com forward slash Bionic Planet, and that's Bionic Planet as a single word with no dots, dashes, or spaces. You can also support Bionic Planet directly by giving me a good five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you subscribe, or by becoming a patron at bionic-planet.com. Now, I've set the patronage page up so that you can support me per episode, but with a monthly cap. So if you think $5 per month is good for a five-episode month, you can pledge $1 per episode, but with a $5 monthly cap. That way, if I don't manage to generate five episodes in a month, you're not paying for something you didn't get. But if I go nuts and deliver 20 episodes one month, you won't get whacked either. By the same token, you can offer $5 per episode or 10 or 50 or whatever. I won't complain. 
My next guest is Tosi Mpanupanu, who's the Democratic Republic of Congo's chief climate negotiator. He's also chairman of the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, and he's the one who formally submitted the proposal to consider something called the Gateway to Encourage, Measure, Report, Verify, and Account for Non-Party Contributions, which I'm just going to call the Gateway. The Paris Agreement doesn't explicitly mention carbon markets at all, but instead it assumes that countries will develop them domestically. The agreement's contribution is to recognize this and to say that countries can trade internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, another one of those crazy acronyms, among themselves to deepen the targets they've set in their nationally determined contributions or NDCs. So ITMOs, internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, basically offsets traded between countries, nationally determined contributions are essentially a country's climate action plan. Now, Article 6 of the Paris Agreement is what they're still talking, they're still discussing that now as I sit here and uh, try, to, try to remain coherent. It lays out two paths that countries can use to trade their emission reductions internationally. And the two paths are not mutually exclusive. The first is called the cooperative approach, which lets countries coordinate trading among themselves, provided they follow accounting principles that pass muster within the UNFCCC. Got that? Okay. The second path is one that Brazil is championing, and it will be forged within the UNFCCC itself and offer a centralized mechanism for transferring emission reductions. The gateway seems to suggest something related. Panupanu sees the gateway as a platform that will be sanctioned by the UN to ensure the integrity of non-parties. Now, this is another technical term. Non-parties are entities that don't have a seat at the UNFCCC table. They can be cities or states within countries that do have a seat, or they can be companies looking to offset their greenhouse gas emissions. Basically, any entity, even if it's a governmental entity, if it doesn't sit at, at the UNFCCC table as a negotiator, it's called a non-party. Now, I conducted these interviews a few days ago when no one really knew if the gateway would become an official agenda item within the talks or not. For now, it looks like that isn't going to happen, again, for now. But it can become a political movement kicking around voluntary meetings. And these, again, are technical terms. Voluntary meetings were sanctioned in 2013 to make sure that outside voices or uh, political movements were being heard in these halls. So I hope that hope I'm not, I'm not throwing too much at you uh, it, all at once. I started out by asking Panu Panu to describe the gateway. Yes, b- basically, we, we, uh, our coalition, which consists of 52 countries, uh, was 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 fast to to realize that the Paris Agreement, although it was a successful the multilateral system, uh, is not uh, sufficient in terms of uh, limiting global temperature rise. So, so we do need to uh, find ways to uh, increase the level of global ambition. And, and we have realized also that uh, in our country, forest-free countries, oftentimes we have different uh, private actors who come and implement projects uh, whose quality is unclear, uh, whose outcomes uh, are sometimes uh, um, unfairly distributed, 
and and for us it's important that we have um, a platform a gateway where different non-parties actors can come and report of what they do and for us if what they do uh, commence the highest level of environmental integrity commence the highest level of rigor they will be keen on coming and showing what they're doing so for us it's not only increases transparency it also uh, creates um, a peer pressure for other people to come and follow suit and and for us it's going to be um, an important um, accountability uh, tool uh, that allows us also government to better understand what's taking place on our territory and 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 account for it for example the way i see it it's um, a poor community in the DRC is lured into some type of project on, on, on protection of forest. And, and once the project is implemented, the project proponent uh, gives them a very uh, small share of the, the proceeds and then disappears with the carbon assets. So when the DRC now is to report on the implementation of its NDC, the DRC uh, finds itself in a difficult situation where it wants to claim some reductions which are not into its own hands. So by, by having a, a, a platform where everybody comes and, and reports on what they're doing, it will not only avoid double counting, but it also can allow for some capacity constraints developing countries, uh, parties, to actually know better what what's what what the greenhouse gas uh, inventories actually contain so um, for, for, for me uh, it is important to find a way some uh, some opportunity to anchor in this formal process a conversation where we can try to account from those non-parties uh, contributions because they are there they will happen anyway and it's important for us to rein in all those endeavors and put them under the common umbrella of the for the sea whose rules we do understand because as of now a lot of initiatives are taking place and it is difficult for us to make a clear assessment of what uh, they can deliver and what uh, they command in terms of integrity and rigor so basically uh, for us, we don't see anyone who will be opposing what we're proposing because not only is it voluntary, but it is also for us to get clarity on who's doing what. And hopefully, with time, we may establish... I, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to use certain words because I don't want to scare people off, but we, we, we may establish some type of uh, standard, but, but it is one which is owned by all of us, which is not owned by some uh, shady private company, but which is owned by the uh, NFPC that can really guarantee that a project commands the highest level of environmental integrity. I guess I've got two questions. One is just, when you, you talk about these uh, private sector operators taking off with the carbon acid, does that really happen anymore? I mean, I, my understanding was that that was kind of exaggerated and that most of the projects now are pretty clean, that the uh, the ones that I am familiar with, at least if I get if I'm understanding them right, 
you know, the, the project developers might get the carbon benefit, but usually they're creating some kind of, uh, you know, sustainable business locally or something to tr- kind of take the pressure off the forest. So there's usually kind of a win-win. It sounds like you're pretty critical. You, you don't you don't see it that way. Yeah, v- v- very nice narratives have been developed, but really on the ground, we, we don't see that. We don't see the social economic transformation that they pretend to be delivering. Uh, we, we, we don't see... Uh, the reporting that they're supposed to bring, and and we don't necessarily understand what type of standards they they they're using. Today, there's actually so many there are dozens and dozens of standards that it com- completely confuses the investor, mm-hmm. and 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 the, the the people putting money into this type of uh, project, they don't have peace of mind, you know, because because they d- they're not sure whether the project will actually uh, deliver what the environment wants to see. And, and and will transform the lives of the people on the ground, or it is some type of um, scheme which is uh, which is going to profit only some uh, few people. Yeah, I've never visited a pro- I've never visited any projects in DRC, but I have visit, visited some in Kenya, and I I do have to say, from what I can see, they they generally do. I mean, I've seen evidence of benefits flowing through. So I just want to make it clear that we're not they're not all. Oh no 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 shady. no! We, we we should not throw. Uh, the, the 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 baby with the, the bath water. I mean, that's certainly not. Good things are happening, but but when you allow for too much flexibility, uh, you 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 get what happened in 2007 and 2008, where uh, you those uh, financial um, finance so those big banks uh, became so greedy that they produced. Some 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 products that themselves did not understand and it created a huge moral hazard, and we don't want to find ourselves in the same situation. I certainly understand that we're not talking about the same thing exactly, but given the right incentive, uh, the bad people will do bad things. So it's important for us to rein in what they're doing, and bring it under the common umbrella of the UNESCO policy that we all understand. Okay. Let's speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. And I think what I'm I'm not clear on exactly what. The proposal does. I know what it aims to achieve, but how does it? Like, what exactly? It's it's a standard. It's a registry. It's it's a. What, I'm not quite clear what it is. It's it's all of the the above to say, because for us it's going to be uh, a platform, a gateway where you come and you present what you do, and once you have done so, uh, it's going to be measured, verified, reported. And also, we're going to ensure that there may be uh, a frequency that also may allow countries, when they do their own reporting also, to be able to, to do some matching. The important thing is that uh, we, wa- we want to... We, it's also going to be a platform that allows people to learn from each other. Because if you are the DRC and then you realize that something uh, very ambitious done in Chad, and you're like, if Chad can do it, maybe I can do the same. And also, it also puts more accountability on uh, multinationals because uh, they will have to report clearly on how, how they intend, for example, to, to plan on reducing the emissions and where they, they, they intend to do it. So uh, if a multinational establish, I don't know, in the US as activities in the DRC, by then reporting on this platform, the DRC capacity complaint uh, constraint um, public servants may actually discover that there's a realm of possibility that it, 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 it was not aware of 
but by the reporting of the multinational, he sees that uh, possibilities abound at home. My final guest is Peter Graham, a longtime negotiator for Canada, who is now a consultant with Climate Advisors. I'd corralled him after speaking to both Kevin and Tosi and to several current negotiators off the record. Uh, I actually grabbed Peter to speak about something completely different. He didn't know I'd already spoken to Kevin and Tosi. Uh, who, by the way, you may have noticed I, when I talk when I talk about Tosi, I usually use his last name. That's just because uh, it's, this is the first time I met him, so I follow the old uh, journalism convention of using the last name. Anyway, in the middle of my discussion with Peter, I brought up the gateway, and we segued into it. So I kind of pulled this little snippet out of that conversation, and I hope to use that conversation for a later podcast. So here we go. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, there's, you know, we I've been involved in in red since it had uh, had 1d um, and uh, and sort of quite uh, committed to the, the process and moved from you know the Warsaw framework to trying to see it implemented and uh, with the Paris agreement that basically entrenched red and its rules and the rule book that we got in Warsaw in that it's basically ready to go article 6 cooperative approaches to help countries achieve their NDCs and to go beyond increase ambition. Um, Article 5 is right there before it, saying, look, and then some some of the other decisions in Paris is basically, look, this is ready to go. Um, it is, RED was designed as a cooperative approach. So, that's my my key message here when I speak with uh, country delegates who are in you know different rooms talking about um, how to operationalize uh, the Article 6, the rules around that. It's like, okay, look, for w one set of activities, or sector if you want to call it, the forest and land sector uh, around Red Plus, we've actually gone a lot further, and a lot of the questions that you're looking to answer for all the other sectors, we've already dealt with. So we're not asking you to look, repeat them, and certainly you should avoid repetition, but don't set anything up that contradicts or gets in the way of that, um, and because so many countries are now implementing action under that uh, structure that don't do anything to discourage it and in fact do whatever you can in messaging to encourage it. So then we come to a couple of issues that are happening here um, that can run the risk of creating the impression that Red Plus is not yet, like the rules and guidance is not yet completed. Um, while the gateway is not specifically saying red plus in it, um, for those, it, I, I was reviewing, review, excuse me, reviewing it this morning, um, a country delegate um, was asking me for my opinion on, you know, what this means for them and their activities on red plus. And when I reviewed it, it was like, okay, I understand the intent. For some countries, there are some project-level activities going on that are voluntary market, voluntary project developers and all that, that may have started before the government got their act together to create a Red Plus strategy and all the things. And some of them are having a little bit more difficulty or taking a bit more time in working around aligning... Some of the countries. Yeah, some of the, the governments um, are having some difficulty or it, it is taking time. To, to figure out how to align the good projects that are going on with their national strategies and their national inventories and accounting 
um, because sometimes the methodologies that the project are using are different than what the country is using. Um, and so this, I see this gateway as, a, as trying to help, in a way, um, to help a country to manage that, that confusion. Okay, intent, fine. But you start to get into real jurisdictional clashes, where you have an international or external foreign body now trying to create new rules for a measurement, reporting, and verification of projects that you may or may not, as a government, recognize in your country. Right, right. Um, and that body saying, well, they've made you know, this many emission reductions and from this type of activity, and we're going to say those are real, and where the country may not agree. So it, it, I have a f uh, pretty good guess at this point. It's Thursday late afternoon, evening here in, in Bonn, that that gateway proposal is going to hit a bit of a wall. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't expect it to, to get out of here. Um, one of the things that, because I've been in this so long and sort of keep my ear to the ground, there is um, a slightly concerning linkage here, which is around the proponents of this gateway. Um, proposal, who have a another um, uh, proposal? Actually, they're um, seeking tr to trademark Red Plus. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I'm drawing this connection because it's not clearly apparent anywhere else, unless you connect where it's coming from mm -hmm. and the implications. So, uh, for a private entity based in Manhattan. I think it's in Manhattan or New York. New York's, yeah. Um, to to try and create a trademark of a what I would see as a global good. Red Plus was developed under United Nations negotiations. All the parties, 193 parties of the of the of the convention, um, and is being used around the world by governments, by UN organizations, by civil society, by indigenous peoples. Um, the implication of such an approach was that if they succeed, then they make money off of every time that Red Plus term is used. Now to link it to what's going on here, that same group is proposing a one or two mechanisms. There's that other process going on in another room, uh, talking about another uh, body or entity that coordinates the finance for Red Plus. Every time they are promoting something that is going to potentially control and validate or verify um, Red Plus credits, at the same time, if they're looking to trademark it, this is a kind of a sketchy looking business proposal. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I talked to Kevin about that, and he said um, that they were all they were really looking to do was to create a logo that could differentiate red from the voluntary markets, like red under the UN from the voluntary markets, and that it would be given for free. I mean, why do people trademark things? I don't want other people using it. I mean, that's why I, I trademark my my website and my podcast because I don't want other people popping up using it who aren't 
legitimate, and I and I've seen this. So the, this is a legitimate argument because I I you know I just I've seen at least two articles this year from major publications where big enough that they still have fact checkers and they should catch this. But it was about voluntary projects that I knew about, and then they described it as you know part of the United uh, United Nations effort. So there's confusion between the voluntary markets and what's evolving under, under the UNFCCC, and he said this is just a way to differentiate that. I'll, I'll pick on two points that you raised there. One is why you trademarked your, your podcast and stuff like that. It's so you have control. You get to decide how it's used. Red Plus was developed, decided, by the United Nations under the UNFCCC. So the implication of trademarking this means that now a individual body gets to potentially change or modify what this means. That is not a UN body. So just fundamentally, again, you're trying to privatize a global good. Um, your second point, which is this evolution, um, I agree and it's something that's frustrated me <laughs> for a long time, um, where, you know, even when the UN Red program was created because it's a UN, well, it's a triumvirate of, of UN agencies that created the UN program, um, every, some people thought, oh, that's, that's Red. It's yeah. like, well, no, it's a program that is working to deliver and help countries in their Red Plus activities in, in various ways. Um, and so from the project side, similarly, well, on that, that has evolved. Um, fewer people get confused <laughs> by what it is um, because the countries themselves have, have taken ownership over what Red Plus is for them. Um, and now when you look at in countries' NDCs and their national plans, they have Red Plus strategies. Um, and so any discerning buyer, a simple Google search, like, oh, I'm going to maybe you know some uh, project developer says I, I represent red plus in you know country X if I'm a potential buyer of interested in buying offset credits on a voluntary market um, I just have to google country X red mm -hmm. and there'll be a number of sources that come up and say okay this is their national strategy is their reference level on the UN site um, that that company developer product developer might come up as well in the context of a governance strategy and a registry system or whatever, so it could be fully legitimate. But if it's not, at least it's sort of buyer beware. You know, you know what you're not getting or what you're getting. Um, so I, I understand that that concern, um, but I do say this, see this evolution of the voluntary market having to basically have less and less choice now, but to figure out how to work with governments yeah. within this national climate change strategies which should be and in many cases are already sort of devolving to jurisdictions states or provinces within the country um, and there'll be benefit sharing arrangements whether it's tons of, of emission reductions once you've aligned reference levels and all that kind of stuff or whether it's other forms you know benefit in other forms um, to, to the those who are doing the work on the ground because we really do have to recognize that many of these projects are good they are actually having an impact on the ground, both mission reductions, um, but in, in sort of livelihood benefits and biodiversity and all that kind of stuff. And we don't want to dissuade good things from happening, but we want to make sure that if we're talking about climate effort, 
um, that only emission reductions that are being credited and traded are those that are actually real in terms of what the atmosphere sees. Peter Graham wrapping up this edition of Bionic Planet, coming to you this week from Global Climate Talks in Bonn, Germany. If you like what you hear, be sure to give me a good rating on whichever service you access me through. Or if you like audiobooks, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial at amazontrial.com forward slash bionicplanet. Or you can become a patron and support me directly at bionic-planet.com for as little as $1 per month. That's all for today. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Bonn, Germany. Thanks for listening.